Welcome to The Strategist, episode 1062. I'm your host, Annalise Klingbeil. With you, as always, Stephen Carter, Corey Hogan. She's really getting better, hey? Like, she didn't even sound dead that time. That was really good. Have you guys seen the polls in the Alberta Oh, my God. (laughs) I've been hanging on the polls. Like, you wouldn't even believe. Like, the polls have been the only thing I've been paying attention to. Uh, Guys, we're going to get to the polls, but not yet, okay? We're going to talk about our weekends, and then we're going to talk about some other stuff, then we're going to talk about the polls. Listen, I know he wants to talk about polls more than Australian football. Yeah, I mean, I'm 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 prepared to forego the usual talk about uh, Australian (laughs) rules football. Guys are so mean. Just to talk about polls. (laughs) I, I did spend a lot of time outside this weekend. Annalise, did you? And I think you that, look like you got some sun. Yeah, well, because I was outside. And that's where the sun mm-hmm. is. Corey, pasty Wouldn't white. Wouldn't know. No. Pasty white. Yeah, blends in with that wall. I yeah. can hardly tell. Yeah. 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 It's it's part of my natural indoor camouflage, though, to be yeah. fair. Like, I don't I don't go outside. I wouldn't. Oh. You should. It was a nice oh, weekend, a weekend outside. We were in Let me oh. tell we were golden bike riding. It was fantastic. Oh, nice. That's great. Yeah. That's really good. We're gonna. What's the uh, What's the election look like in? I'll gold? tell you. No one was talking about it. I brought it up at a couple yeah. different places. No one gave a shit. How'd that How'd that I, go over? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I guess uh, that does sort of track for a few different. Yeah, I mean, I was talking to them. You know, they They're not peering over the fence. They're not saying like what's going not at on all. They don't seem to give a shit. And I I did say to them, you know, you guys should probably listen to the strategists. You guys would would like that. And they were like, no. No, we don't. <laughs> we don't care. <laughs> Just hard no. Yeah, it was pretty upset. Carter, I, I noticed you had an entire full-page column, and there was not one strategist plug uh, in the column, no, in the national you know, I noticed that, too, actually. In, fa- yeah, in I fairness, did. I did not write that. Like, it was long. I did not but it was, write that. You you were the only quote in, what was it, yeah, like a it thousand words? Yeah, it was an words? interview. Yeah, we talked about the strategist for yeah. 70 minutes. For eight minutes, I talked about this election. And she chose to comment and take the quotes from the eight minutes I talked about the election. That's the beauty. Shouldn't have talked about the election for eight minutes. Lesson learned. Lesson learned. Yeah. Stay on See, message. This is actually, stay exactly. on message. You, yeah. you open Corey it up to I those follow-up questions. Yeah, man. Yeah. You got to watch out yeah. for that. Control the narrative. Carter. I wasn't really you quite sure what to do with the column. I was like, oh, look at that. I'm in the newspaper again. Usually that's not a good thing. <laughs> so I... <laughs> Speaking of <laughs> congratulations, you're also the subject of a, an award-winning column now. I see eight thousand words. Oh, did it win? Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. Oh, I didn't know it won. It yeah, won for of best spin by a subject. Uh, <laughs> it's an unexpected victory. Uh, do you unex- unexpected okay. category? When it's about you, like, do you get an award, or only the journalist gets the award? I think that. Oh, I think just the journalist. But yeah. I mean, I should get something. Maybe a thank you card. Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. Like yeah, a okay. free subscription to the Sprawl. Whatever, yeah. man. Whatever. Maybe an autograph book. subscription yeah. to the Sprawl, Corey. Oh, that's nice. Hey, that's a great segue, man. <laughs> so we are still uh, doing our annual listener survey. And we did tell you last time, uh, this is our once a year thing where we go out and we ask for information about you, our listeners, so we can tailor our um, you know podcast to you. We will be speaking an awful lot more about Rolex watches and and boats yeah, now. I think sure. you're all really rich. So yeah, rich. It's pretty impressive. Yeah, it's crazy. It's unreal. Yeah. You know what? And you're a bunch of weird champagne socialists. I don't get it. And, and but, so smart. Like, have you seen how smart they are? I'm actually almost oh, intimidated. Like a lot of degrees. Yeah, a lot all of degrees. the degrees. Not, you guys are not normal. I guess yeah. that's the thing I would kind of underline here. But, but 
listen, I know there was some confusion last time because Zane... Uh, Zane introduced the idea that you could go to, to brettandrews.ca to do this listener survey. And you can. You can still go to brettandrews.ca. But he did a couple of confusing things. He also said you could go to thebrettandrews.ca to purchase a flight, yeah. which which remains true. But he spent a lot of time talking about Brett Andrews as though his name should be Brett Andrew, no S. And so I'm a little worried that might have affected oh, no. you know, the response yeah. rates, right? So we have gone out and we have registered the Brett Andrew. .ca. Unfortunately, the Brett Andrew or BrettAndrew.ca without the the was already registered by an airline. So uh, you can go to the BrettAndrew.ca or BrettAndrews.ca to continue or complete this listener. I am so glad you cleaned that up because that was very confusing. <laughs> That's not and you cleaned it all. up so well. And and everyone should definitely become a Patreon so that their money can go towards you registering more websites. That's not me. That I look, look definitely what take it up happen. with the airline. airlines Don't come in. And they, they have demands on us. Okay, so they just to clarify, where yeah. where can people do this very important survey that must be they done? They can do this survey at brettandrews.ca. They cannot do the survey at thebrettandrews.ca, but they can do the survey at thebrettandrew.ca, but they cannot do it at brettandrew.ca. Okay, good to know. How how is Brett Andrews doing? We haven't heard from him. We haven't heard from him. You haven't heard from him? He did do some Twitter stuff. The big radio hour? He he did stick a couple of daggers in us a little bit earlier. He said he thought we were more popular. Uh, You know, just, it it was a little Turns out he's a dick. I mean... Sorry, Brett. We're only the most popular political podcast in the country. I'm sorry we couldn't do more yeah. for you, uh, Corey. Yeah. Just to loop back, what do people? What could they win if they do the oh, listener wait. survey? I think that was there that was actually the segue. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> yeah. Good catch. If yeah. you do this survey, which you can do at brettandrews.ca, but not thebrettandrews.ca, but you can do at thebrettandrew.ca, but not at brettandrew.ca, you uh, can win. Uh, an autographed one-year subscription to the Strategist Patreon. It's a yeah. big deal. Listen. Yeah. It's a big deal. I think I was talking to my mom today. You guys know, Mo- Mother's Day, big day, big day for moms. Uh, Ta- can we pause? Thanks for wishing for, me a happy oh, Mother's Day, Carter. Happy Mother's Real Day. Real nice. Anyways, I was talking to my mom. She did not understand the whole pa- pa- the survey thing, so my parents have not done the survey. So <laughs> she couldn't remember <laughs> Brett Andrews' name. So... We did not capture that data. So that's okay. No data. Now they now now your parents can go to thebrettandrew.ca. So it's fine. Yeah, I'm going to send them the link. We'll take care of it. Okay. Okay, guys. Let's uh, let's move into our first segment. Our first segment is called Two Weeks In." It's May 14th. It's two weeks since Rit Drop Eve. We're two weeks into the campaign, halfway through. Big deal. To start, give me your metaphors. Um, you've been good on the metaphors when it comes to kind of where we are in the campaign. What is the halfway point like when you're in a campaign like this, Stephen Carter? It's like a polling roller coaster is what it is. So you have a roller coaster. A, a polling roller coaster. <laughs> so you go up and you go down and you're going through curves and stuff. But you know how some the best roller coasters don't just have one up thing. They have two up things. That's what mm-hmm. we're going through right now. We're heading the second thing where it starts to lift you up. I've been talking to a number of people involved in campaigns, both on the UCP and the, and the NDP side, and they share only one characteristic. And that characteristic is they're exhausted. 
They do not have the adrenaline of the, you know, the GOTV push that's going to start next Tuesday. Uh, they, they, they've run out of the adrenaline that was pushing them forward for the first two weeks of the campaign. They are now just tired. And everything they're doing is taking superhuman effort at this particular moment. Uh, that will change after the debate and after the long weekend when they really start getting into, you know, we have to get the vote out. This is how we win. And there'll be lots of success, success measures, lots of failure measures as well. But we'll ignore those as we always do. Um, and so this will be. You know they're 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 tired. They're in the middle of the roller the polling roller coaster, and the polling roller coaster, you know, it's just exhausting. Corey, what's your metaphor? You know, for me, it is actually a bit like taking a flight across the Pacific to Hawaii, mm. right? You know, you know that the the most dangerous parts of the flight are the takeoff and landing, the first week and the fourth week. You you know this, but that doesn't change the fact that there's something deeply unnerving about being over in the middle of the Pacific as far away from land as possible here. Because if if something goes wrong in the middle of a campaign, you don't have enough time to correct. Like, you can't go back, but you're not close enough to land. You know, so if things are going well, you've still got that anxiety where it's like, you, you know, anything could still happen at this particular moment here. So it's not actually as critical, but it feels more anxiety-inducing in some senses because uh, you've now seen how people have reacted to those initial arguments you've put forward. Um, they are not at the moment of maximum paying attention, which happens in the last week, but here you are. And in this particular case, we're also just before the, um, the leaders' debate. And so, you know, that moment of anticipation and uneasy dread, I think, is doubly felt at, at this moment for the campaigns. It's a big week coming up with the um, the debate on Thursday. Talk me through what the focus is sort of this week at that halfway point. And is the debate normally like the standard yeah, that the debate is a, kind of this week about? Yeah, I mean, I think maybe a couple of days earlier, usually. I, it feels a little late, but not a lot yeah, late. I don't know. Tuesdays Stephen. feel like it's more, it's usually more of a Tuesday thing, but. Okay, so a couple of days. It's not that big but what's Yeah. Yeah, so what's what's focus kind of over the next few days, knowing that there is a debate on Thursday? Um, you're, you're probably walking through a number of drills uh, where you're testing the lines that you have. So one of the things that you want to do is you don't want to over you want you don't want to have too many lines, right? Like you don't want to have a line for everything, you know, every situation because you're never going to be able to remember them all. So what you want is you want four, five, six lines that you can intersperse throughout the debate that are your winning lines, and you are going to be tested um, by your team on how to bring those lines in because you should know your lines by now. You should have everything in the can about what you're actually going to say. And now you're just practicing to make sure that, you know, the, the lines actually come out as they're scripted when the opportunity arises. So there'll be uh, tests where they will test the candidate to ensure they can get it out when the topic isn't the exact topic that, that the line was prepared for. And then there will be tests where they will try and get the candidate to do you know, the line on the actual topic. So those types of tests are relatively um, common and relatively easy to do because you, you you can do a test like that in a minute. What you don't want to be doing is too many rehearsals because uh, you can over-rehearse, um, you know, and, you know, it, good dress, bad show, bad dress, great show. So you want to make sure that you uh, you don't over-rely over, over on the actual dress rehearsals. Did no one else get my theater reference? Carter, I, just I think you misunder. 
<laughs> I think you misunderstood my question, but that's okay. It wasn't super. Uh, Your it question wasn't super was, what's happening with the debates in this moment? And no, I told you. No, my question was, and I'll just turn it to Corey. It's all good. Corey, two, two weeks on, in, hang knowing on. that there is a debate this week. Overall, what what is the focus? Not We weren't getting specifically into debate oh. strategy. We can in a second. It's okay, Carter. That's a little bit my, of me. My, but question, just, my answer oh. to that question was fantastic, though. <laughs> <laughs> just overall, <laughs> when you're on that airplane or that roller coaster, like just walk walk those people who haven't been on a campaign um, before. What two weeks in? What's what are you focusing on? Yeah, so the kind of the refinement is done. You are starting to get those mid campaign polls, which I suspect we'll talk about in a minute. Um, but you 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 know what's working. You know what's not. You are kind of strapped in. Just as you are, the plane's taken off, the plane's on a course, it's going to go where it's going to go at this point. And I, that's what sort of leads to that feeling of dread. It does feel a little bit like there's not an awful lot to do except execute at this particular moment, because you don't even have those early pivots that you would otherwise have. And so as a result, you do what Stephen did, and you tend to focus and latch on and hold on to these big moments where you really can still make a difference. And those include things like... What ads are we going to close out the campaign on? How are we going to react to what they did in the first two weeks? And should we consider that? And you ultimately, you'll do a little bit, but maybe not a ton. And how are we preparing for this debate? And political parties, political leaders put so much into the debate. And I guess with cause, because in 2015, we did see an election hinge somewhat on a debate. And it's not the only election where we've seen this. But yeah, you're you're looking for the things that matter that you can be impactful on, especially if you're in a central campaign function. And this is also the moment where people naturally, maybe Bob will make a bit of an appearance here, because if things are going poorly, that's where you start dealing with the second guessers and the geniuses who say, if you just did this Hail Mary, it would all turn around. And all that is required is the one thing that I'm trying to convince you to do. And everything is entirely different. And that's rarely the case. But you're also dealing with a little bit of that. So what's your message for Bob when, when you're dealing with that? What do you say to Bob? Well, look, th- there are so many Bobs and they come when it's going good. They come when it's going bad. It's, hey, let's close this thing out with this one grand ad. I've come up with this brilliant ad. Or you just need to put this one newspaper column out and all of a sudden everybody will flock to you. Or just maybe an impassioned plea on Facebook and everyone will understand. And I've been talking to people at the door and they say what Danielle Smith needs to do is simply say that the the WEF lizard people took over her body for all of the comments you don't like, right? I mean, like there's no shortage of bad ideas from Bob's. And I think they all kind of hinge on the same fundamental fallacy, which is one action will change the campaign. And so what you're trying to do is you're trying to bring them back to reality and saying, hey, listen, you know, we 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 test on these things, we do these things, we can certainly test on if it's an interesting idea, but you've got to remind them that this thing is not going to flip based on one good speech or bad speech, frankly, at this point. Carter, do you have anything to add or do you want a new No, that's a good question. I, you know what? Detailed I, I'm, question. Oh. I'm prepared to answer that question. You know what everybody's doing right now? Everybody in every campaign everywhere, including Bob's. Tell me. They're all walking around Tell me. and they're testing their data. So what they're trying to do is find anecdotal support. Oh, you're so right. Anecdotal. Yeah. So um, 
what do you hear? What do you just hear? Want, t- tell us, yeah, yeah like tell like the, us what you mean by that. So it's like the cowardly you, lion, you nailed it. like the cowardly lion from the Wizard of Oz, going around going, "What do you hear? What do you hear? Am I going to win? Am I going to lose? What do you hear? What do you hear? Our polling numbers, our polling numbers are up. Our polling numbers are down. What do you hear? What do you hear? We're going to, you know, is someone going to, is someone going to bail us out? Someone going to bail us out? That is the entire campaign. Every campaign." In Alberta right now, has someone yeah, making telephone true. calls and sending texts saying, "What do you hear? What do you hear?" <laughs> you have well, it's true, and and now it's not a coincidence that this happens around this time because you start getting other pieces of data, the polls. You start looking at the signs in a more concrete way. It's less now about who got them up the fastest, but who has the most, yeah. right? And so everybody is trying to align data and vibe. And they're trying to see if vibe can trump data if the data is bad for them or if data can trump vibe if the vibe's bad or if they're feeling it really well in both cases, they're looking almost for the other shoe to drop. And so they're going out and saying, yeah, but what are we missing here? And they're stress testing these things. But this is when you hit the moment of maximum gossip in a campaign, oh, yeah. right? Everybody is trying to figure out what the fuck is going on? And they will read every tea leaf, including literal tea leaves. You know, like, oh, I went out for coffee and somebody nodded at me extra friendly because <laughs> I was wearing my NDP button, right? <laughs> like, this is the kind of shit that happens at two weeks. What about... Um, he didn't do an impression, though. Carter he tried to do an impression. Cowardly lion. Yeah. yeah. Come on. <laughs> Come on, Corey. I'm, I'm going to pass. I don't think he can top yours, For a Carter. lot of reasons. Cowardly lion yeah. is yeah. good. Yeah, not um, top it. That's what it yeah, is. Okay. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Carter, what about the the timing with this May election? So this weekend, Mother's Day, a lot of people spending time with family. And the next, next weekend's a long weekend. What impact do kind of holidays have on an election period? Um, well, I mean, the Thanksgiving long, uh, Thanksgiving long weekend in October, I have long held, uh, is why Nahadenshi became the mayor. Everybody got together in family groups and they talked about, uh, you know, Nenshi. Uh, have you heard of this Nenshi guy? Have you heard of this Nenshi guy? And, and kids explained to parents and parents explained to grandparents who he was and why they were voting for him. And, and things really fundamentally changed because all of a sudden now you've got momentum. And momentum is the, uh, the only thing that really matters in politics besides uh, money. Um, so momentum comes in and, uh, you know, Every, everything works out. Um, and right now, I suspect the Mother's Day didn't have the big, the big push uh, that, that we would normally see on uh, Thanksgiving because, yes, we're all getting together, but it's a lot more phone calls. It's a lot, you know, like because it's May, because it's outdoor, outdoor time, which you and I do, Annalise, but Corey doesn't. But there's so many other things to do right now, and you're out doing them. You're out exploring, you're out doing stuff. You might go, you know, for a bike ride or whatever, but there's all the things you're out doing and those out things take away from the time that you're with your parents or with your your mother. And next weekend, no one spends together. You can also go outside in October. What? What's this? You can go outside in October. (laughs) That feels weird. Um, I don't believe that's true. I think that that's the shoulder season where you clean your house. That's what I was told. So you you really no honestly here you really think that I mean obviously Mother's Day is different than Thanksgiving but I don't know a lot of people were spending time in person 
yeah. with their family. I, mean, this I don't weekend. know. We'll find out afterwards. I Maybe doing things outside. I don't think they were talking with their about mom. politics in the same way that they do in October. Now, we could be wrong. Or I could be wrong. They may have talked about politics all the time. And if they did, I don't think it's particularly good for um, for our friend Danielle Smith. Because they, you know, the tone and tenor of the conversation is more likely to be negative for the uh, for the UCP. But I just don't think that this this election doesn't seem to have that feel to me. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm in the minority. But it just doesn't feel like this is the election where everybody's getting together and discussing it with uh, with their parents, uh, families, children, all the assorted hangers on that came over to my house and ate dinner today. You think they're just hanging out outside? They're not having conversations. No, it's just a different holiday. It's, it's a different holiday. Okay. You you don't have the same culture of everybody getting together for Thanksgiving, uh, as you know, at Mother's Day. You just don't have that same culture. Corey is Carter right here? Well, I, he's for sure right. Obviously, Thanksgiving is one of the big holidays. And the big thing about Thanksgiving is that it brings an extended family yeah. in the way that you just simply do not have on Mother's Day, right? And I do believe that Mother's Day has an awful lot more, you know, drop in, drop out, send text, phone call with the kids, FaceTime than Thanksgiving. And it doesn't hit that level. But there is a bit of an interesting one-two punch of these holidays. And you've already alluded to it because next weekend is May long. And that's a that's a different kind of holiday too. That's a holiday where you tend to get together with friends. Maybe you go camping. You're you're outdoors, right? Uh, you're at the bar. Yeah. You're celebrating. You're enjoying yourself with peer groups. And again, not maybe the same bringing together people who have different worldviews at the extent that Thanksgiving is. But the combination of Mother's Day plus May Long, I think, does start to approximate like these two weeks are a bit of a hinge moment in aggregate, right? Like they, they are a time when people get together and I still wouldn't put them up there with Christmas or Thanksgiving or Easter even, mm -hmm. but I do still think they matter. And I get the sense that uh, the campaigns know they matter too because of the way they're treating the weekends and they're not relenting on the weekends, right? And they're trying to make sure that there's still deep conversations to be had about wild things that they can throw at the other candidates uh, as they move along here. So... May long post debate at this moment could be an interesting one. Uh, we just don't have enough experience, I think, with with May long being a week before the election, or at least you know, mm -hmm. you know, I can think of a, quite a few elections where you know it's been in there, but n never quite so close, never quite such a hinge moment. Okay, uh, who do you think won this past week? <laughs> hmm. You want yeah. to go first, Corey, or do you want me to... to <laughs> well, sure. I mean, so this is the second week. I think you have to say it, it's not so much who won, it's who lost, right? Mm -hmm. And by extension, it means the NDP won because once again, Danielle Smith and the UCP lost. Like we started last week, the podcast that we did this time, 168 hours ago, talking about, oh, well, now there's the wildfires and Danielle Smith has a chance to be a premier and all that. And in the very last segment... I, I hadn't seen it. You dropped this. Oh, and by the way, she compared all Albertans to Nazis. And, and you know, and that, that kind of set the tenor for the week. She was on the defense the entire week. She was dealing with those charges. She was dealing with videos coming out of her wanting to pri or like sell off hospitals. There was Newdorf, the deputy premier, making comments that seemed to support that and say you should have to pay to go to emergency like from days ago, not even from years ago, and even years ago seems pretty close. And 
most of what I think about this week is really, again, just Danielle Smith having to react to the things that Danielle Smith said less than 24 months ago. Speaking of which, I, I've uh, been very offline this weekend. Did did something else drop today that she said recently? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> can, you, yes. can you talk to me about that? Like, I mean, totally sincerely here. I've not been uh, online much at all this weekend. Yeah. So there was the, there was, um, another video from September from September. Like we're not even talking yeah. like she like had, a month before she was premier. That's right. Yeah. That's so September. Sept- that September okay. uh, saying effectively, and I'm paraphrasing here and I encourage people to just go look at the video because I only saw it uh, once. It's not like I've even done a bunch of deep analysis here, but effectively saying, yeah, like police who are implementing these public health orders, maybe they should be held accountable for that too. Oh. Yeah, and so I think that in combination with comments made about, well, let's put it this way, that makes perfect sense if you believe that this is as bad as, you know, Nazism, Mm -hmm. because, you know, the same logic applies here, right? And, but what I would say is it makes it a lot harder to say that those comments about, you know, the 75% of Albertans getting vaccinated are the same 75% who would have supported Hitler. It makes it really hard to say that those are isolated comments. Yeah, I mean, I think that what's really interesting about this is not just the, you know, the topics, obviously, having police officers locked up and comparing the entire population to Hitler, as well as musing openly about charging people for going to emergency rooms and selling private selling hospitals. Hey, these topics aren't great. But it's the frequency (laughs) that they're happening with too. like, Corey and I were kind of picking on him a little bit about you know, ho- you know, them being the NDP, hey, hold back a little bit, hold back, because, you know, people are barely getting a chance to digest each one of these, these, these issues before we go on to the next issue. And this yeah. is, again, we are drowning in Danielle Smith issues. And I'm, and I'm, you know, the, 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 the smart move is to say, well, of course, it doesn't matter, right? It doesn't matter how often these things happen. What matters is that they're happening. And now they're going to own that negativity as, you know, people will have this negative impression about Smith. But the other side of that particular coin is if you can't digest what's happening, if you're barely paying attention and you just know that there's a bunch of shit going on, you don't necessarily attribute that to the right person, right? It might be attributed to a candidate. It might be attributed to the deputy premier. It might be attributed to, you know, someone else, um, and that means that the full impact is not felt as, you know, Danielle Smith, uh, you know, finds her way through, frankly, probably the worst political two weeks for any campaign I can remember. You know, the other thing, Stephen, is I truly believe a chain of attacks like this is only as good as its weakest link. And if there is an attack that some people think like, well, that's kind of bullshit, or I know it is, or I know that was taken out of context, mm-hmm. or yeah, that's not particularly good. It does start to call into question all of the other attacks. And what I find interesting here, because I actually don't believe that's what's happening. Yeah. Uh, like, I, I like these are all pretty significant, pretty meaty things that it's hard to say were taken out of context, hard to say um, th- that are being torqued by the NDP in any way, shape or form. So I guess if they're all going to be, quote unquote, this good of attacks, I I don't know. I mean, there's still the concern that Stephen said about they're just spinning, they're not digesting, they don't remember, they've just got weird vibes, but their weird vibes might still just be super negative. We're in those doldrums, though. We're in the middle of the campaign. Makes me wonder, I have to imagine they're holding something back for closer to the end here. 
And, well, and I just, I'm dying to know what it is yeah. in this particular moment. Can, can we talk about that pace? Because, like, I'm someone who's very tuned in. And as I say, I've been offline for a couple of days. Then I've missed something. And even the selling off of hospitals, we haven't, the three of us haven't talked about that. We recorded no, it yeah, on Tuesday. <laughs> I think it happened on Wednesday or Thursday. It's now Sunday. Like, is is the pace for the average person, is it, does it speak to this larger narrative of she's risky and she's unpredictable and we can't trust her? Or is it just like, well, some of these things aren't that bad because they just keep happening. Like expand on that. Yeah. Well, I do wonder if they're desensitizing yeah, on the large the word with I was so many for, of them. Corey. Yeah. But I, I guess I was to Steven, I was pretty critical. I don't know if I said it on the pod, but I was pretty critical saying, my God, like the, the Danielle Smith Nazi comparison thing is big and it's only been two days with that. How are we on yeah. to the next thing? Cause this next thing is big too. This idea that you want to sell hospitals. Why wouldn't you have let that like breathe a day or two before you go forward? Yeah. And I, I was pretty critical about that. I became less critical when, uh, you know, Newfeld's comments came out immediately after, mm-hmm. right? Because, then it was, okay, well, those are out there. Those just happened. Maybe you're trying to kind of get them all in and do this healthcare hit while it's still relevant, while you still think you can use it uh, and say, this just happened. Uh, maybe. But now here we are again, just a couple of days later on yet another attack. And I do, I do wonder a bit about the pace, although it seems to be working too, if you believe the polls. So... Those Hard polls, I got to talk about those. But C- Carter, just to back up a sec, because I know you want to talk about this, is just how the um, her comments comparing the the Nazis to comparing Nazis to vaccinated, and, and then not wearing a poppy stuff. That all of that, how that's been interpreted by the different the different tribes. I know you've got some thoughts here. Well, I think it's really interesting because the the Nazi comment, you know, we all grabbed onto, right? And um, certainly by point of view of the right wing, we're all lefty commie uh, punks, right? I used to be uh, a progressive conservative. You know, I got a progressive conservative premier elected. Uh, but nonetheless, they think of me as a lefty now. And maybe I am because my reaction was that whole, th- you know, I don't think you should compare people to Nazis. Call me crazy, but I think that that was a big, big deal. But the right has grabbed on to the poppy thing. The poppy thing, I I think it's a really interesting. We've talked about um, uh, the, the, uh, oh, come on. Corey, uh, Jonathan Haidt and his book, yeah, the, uh, righteous mind. the Righteous Mind, a number of times. And this is one of those continuum type of things, right? Like, wh- where are we on our value mm-hmm. set? And how do those values differ for people who have different values and different approaches to things? Because we will see the t- same sentence and we will respond differently to it. And that's one of the core uh, pieces that if you don't, if you want to understand politics, you have to understand that people with different values will respond to the same stimuli differently. So we are literally watching the right wing say, fuck you on poppies, Danielle. We're okay with the Nazi stuff. Actually, they're not saying we're okay with the Nazi stuff. It just isn't getting their 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 backs up the way that not supporting veterans, which is a core value of a lot of the right wing. Mm-hmm. That piece really stings. And I think that, that's, that that has so much more value than some of the other pieces that that the NDP have, or I, I shouldn't even say the NDP, that the media and others have dug up about on this election. It's it's been fascinating. Corey, do you have anything to add there? 
Yeah, I, you know, I haven't really dug into it enough to to validate or refute what Stevens just said here in terms of how different groups are approaching it. I do think that overall, what makes that particular comment by Danielle Smith so absolutely damning is that it's like an insult wrapped in an insult wrapped in another insult. And there are a lot of ways you can be offended by that particular comment. And you don't need to look at it from just one worldview. There are ways you can interpret it that can ignore entire components of it and still be offended by it, as Stephen has sort of described here. And that's part of why I think that one should have been let left to breathe a little mm-hmm. bit more before the NDP went on to the next attack, because it's just so significant. Although it's not a way. Like, even this weekend, there were some weird fights over it. There were some boards on social media the NDP put up about literally taking Daniel Smith quoting saying that she wouldn't wear a poppy. Then, for whatever reason, Rob Anderson quote tweeted it. Don't know why he's amplifying his opponent's attack and says, like, oh, this is disgusting. And then got jumped on by a million other quote tweeters because he's got his replies off, which is neither here nor there. Sometimes I think that's a sensible approach. But, uh, but it's still in the conversation, I guess. It just seems like people are trying really hard to put other things in the conversation. And I don't know. I don't know if you need five really bad things when you have one absolutely damning thing. And it, it probably it could have just been left to be universally reviled for a little bit longer before going on to some of these things that actually get back into the space of ideology. Like, how much privatization do you want in healthcare? Mm-hmm. Will you tolerate that's not a question that everyone is going to see as a universal bad thing. Now, I personally support public health care. There are a lot of people who don't. And frankly, <laughs> there are far more people opposed to Nazis than, univ- than pi- private health care. So I-, I think that even if it's still a loser for Smith, it's losing on more stable ground than what she was fighting on before. Before we talk about polls, let's just talk about that timing thing a little. Because let's say you're a campaign and you know that she said these things about um, hospitals and you want to wait for it to come out, you know, a week before the end of the campaign. But someone else is putting it like how how much control do you have if other people, if media start calling because they're saying, hey, we're seeing this video like do you Carter, you're smiling. What are you, what are your thoughts? If you know, his thoughts are the media found it because they wanted them to find. It. Yeah, I mean, the media don't find a lot of stuff. The media finds stuff that we give them. And that is generally on our schedules. Now, Lake of Fire was not something that the media found uh, or that, that we gave them. They, they found that on their own. Well, someone in Manitoba gave it to him. Blake Robert gave it to them. And uh, that became, you know, Lake of Fire. And, and that, that was a different situation. But in this particular case, I suspect that almost everything that's happening is, is being gifted to the media. Keep in mind, I mean, the media doesn't have a lot of resources, right? Like, and they don't have the ability to sit there and watch uh, every minute of, of tape that Danielle Smith has produced over the last few years. You know who has that kind of time? NDP. NDP War Room. Every, mm-hmm. You know, they're up late at night watching everything that she's ever said uh, to anybody. And they're dissecting it and pulling it apart and getting it ready. And then when it comes time, they release it. And I don't know for 100% certain that they did everything this week, but I bet you they did more than they didn't. Okay. 
Let's talk about the polls, Corey. You've been itching for the past half hour to talk about these polls. Saturday. Uh, polls don't matter too much. To yeah, polls are pretty useless. I mean, Saturday, I'm not even sure why we talk about them. A new poll came out from Abacus that shows the NDP ahead of the UCP. Um, their previous poll in April had the two parties virtually tied. So I've got actually some questions from our audience, guys. I asked our audience on Discord for some questions, uh, and people I, had questions about this. I gotta go, guys. This. This, you know, if we're talking about the audience, this is just something I Before can't Before I care about them, Carter, okay? I care about them, so and wrong. I care about what they want to know. Um, before we get into kind of what they want to ask about this, just early thoughts on, on this Abacus poll from either of you? Yeah, well, so it has the NDP up eight, which is obviously a significant swing. Well, and there, it provided a bunch of different ways to look at it, right? Likely voters, decided yeah. voters, blah, 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 all the way here. But let's just say it had the NDP up a fair bit. And it uh, also showed that these uh, reluctant UCPers, or however they were framed, Stephen, you'll remember yeah, probably a little bit UCP. better. Yeah, reluctant UCP. Yeah, yeah, they were breaking towards the NDP, and there were fewer undecideds, and it seemed that people were ultimately throwing their lot in with the NDP as they took stock of the two parties here. Is this the case? Is this not the case? You know, one of the things that Abacus has going for them is they do get to be the first one out the gate on this this mid-campaign polling blitz that you generally see around here. We talked about this, I think, last mm -hmm. episode, but you can anticipate around this time you start seeing the first polls, and they're largely constructed to come in advance of the leaders' debate, and then we'll see the polls that come post-leaders' debate, and then the final week polls, which I guess are one and the same in this particular moment. Um, but yeah, it, it, one of the things that immediately happens is it drives narratives. It becomes reinforcing of anybody who thinks that the NDP is... You know, the vibes are good, I guess you could say. Yeah. And um, and it will no doubt spur a thousand bobs to have a thousand conversations with the UCP campaign headquarters. <laughs> Carter, your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, Bob right now in the UCP side is picking up the phone and calling, you know, Central and saying, oh, my God, send help. You know, we were we were 51st and now we're like 47th. Got it. Oh, my God, we could be lost. We're, we're in, here's what we need. We need more money. We need more people. We need more everything. Why was my why were my signs late? This is why I'm down by so much. Um, we aren't talking enough about education. Education is what we're getting killed on. And so that's the Bob side on the uh, the UCP side. On the NDP side, the Bobs are all calling and saying, um, you know, <laughs> We're not seeing this now. We're not seeing that we're six points up. What the fuck is going on? I'm running this campaign. You know, we're supposed to be, you know, 538 and or not 538, 338 has us up by four points. Jesus, my numbers aren't matching that. What am I doing wrong? What do I need to do better? I'm panicked because all of my data does not add up to this to this new projection that Fournier's put out that doesn't make any sense anyways because he's just fucking guessing. Um but, you know, all of those people are scared to death because they're not necessarily seeing that which is happening. And that's why we're getting all of those, you know, vibe checks, as Corey's describing them, or panicked, what do you know, phone calls, as I'm describing them, with a lot more theater and a lot more impact, I think. Um, <laughs> but, you know, that's... Your Bob voice sounds a little too similar to your lion voice. I know. I'm say. upset about it. Yeah. I'm upset about it. I'm going to work on it. You spread uh, them out. We'll man. do better. Come on. <laughs> we'll do better. Uh, you know, the, there's another call, though, that's happening, which is the people who 
are maybe not the campaigns that the NDP would be inclined to resource because they're like the next step out. Yeah. And they're now calling and saying, I got a chance. You got to give me the money. If you give me the money, if you give me the support, we can do it. We can get there. And that's tough because there is going to be a pressure to try to almost spread yourself too thin at this point when you start seeing the potential of victory in more seats than you need in more different places. And, um, Look, there's worse problems in the world to have, but it's a problem that the NDP central campaign will probably be having well, uh, the the desire of people to to be in the race because mm-hmm. somebody has declared they might be in the race. And to be clear on how to deal with it, you go with the 47 that you were trying to get. If you were if you're the NDP and you're trying to get 47 to 49, you don't look at 50 to 55. You go and well, you get 47 to 49, and if 50 to 55 come along you're golden. But you got to lock down because you don't have a history of ground game. You don't have a history of GOTV. You don't have the history of winning in a head-to-head battle. And that's what this is right now, a head-to-head battle. This does become part of the strategy and it's dependent on your resources. You do want to put in a bit of a buffer, but I think to Stephen's point, you don't want to be foolish about it. You don't want to mm-hmm. spread yourself too thin. You don't want to lose two elections by 100 instead of winning one by five. Right. Sure. So from the discord, um, is this where the NDP wants to be right now? Or is it too early? And they're referring to the new poll that shows them <laughs> with momentum. This, this is like the most I hate this forever question. question. Yeah. 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 You, you go the, for it first. Steve. You don't get to choose. You take what you get when you get it. And then you have to maximize that which you're given. So if you get a poll that shows that you're up, um, you know, the Tuesday before the election, I mean, for us with an NG campaign, we were up by, uh, we were tied, I believe, on the Tuesday before the election. And we knew that that meant that we'd won because there was no time for them to catch up and we had the momentum. Um, this is a little early for that type of declaration, but shit. You know, here are your choices. You can be Danielle Smith or you can be Rachel Notley. Pick your poison. Everybody chooses being Rachel Notley right now. No one's saying, you know what? Danielle's really got a big chance to turn around. Yeah, there's like really well positioned. Yeah, there's like one election in history where the party that was trailing at this particular point uh, turns it around. And I'm not saying it was because of me, but certainly I was there. And, you know, Corey was there too, but he was on the <laughs> other side. But not there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> It's it's ridiculously hard, and and to be frank, again, and I've said this a thousand times, we didn't win in 2012. Danielle Smith gave yeah. us the victory in 2012, and I think that right now the idea that the NDP is going to give the victory uh, to the UCP is really difficult to believe, just because they are running a very very solid campaign and. Uh, it's it's created a story. It's created characters. Their advertising supports everything. Everything's tied in together. Everybody's singing from the same song sheet. It just feels like it's in a really good spot at this particular moment. Um, and and now, having said that, a week from now we could be talking about how it all fell off, how the wheels fell off. So who knows? Okay. Yeah. Uh, oh, go ahead. Look, I I think there's another reality here which is that fear of where you might be and how that might change things matters more the more dynamic the race is. And there's a couple of things this particular election that make the race less dynamic on a foundational level. The first is this idea that you're going to peak too soon has to do with, okay, now all of a sudden the media is going to turn to you and what are they going to learn about you, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Well, what are they going to learn about Rachel Notley, the person who was premier for four fucking years, right? Like this is not an unknown commodity. So that risk is a little lower. You don't have this kind of 
ping-ponging randomness of what might come out of the woodwork about Rachel Notley that you would with another candidate who perhaps is quote-unquote peaking too early. That's that's a simple reality. And it's also why we don't tend to sweat it when the government is peaking too early. Because you know the government. It's not mm-hmm. it's not a challenge. Peaking too early is something you say about a third party that comes out of nowhere, a second party that comes out of nowhere. It's not something that you generally have to worry about when it's a known commodity, right? Then the other thing when people worry about peaking too early is this idea that it will demotivate your base. Does anybody get the sense that the <laughs> NDP base is unmotivated right now? Yeah. I mean, holy shit. I don't know. I've been saying forever, like, oh, the signs in my neighborhood are seven to one for the NDP to conservative. I actually counted them today. I walked with my kids down through the neighborhood. We got some you, ice you cream went far outside. away. You went outside. This is you huge, know, huge day know, for stop Corey presses, right? I was to count signs. So it all kind of tracks here. And it's 10 to 1. It's like, 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 and I'm not saying the vote will be 10 to 1. I'm saying they really want to have their signs up. You know, these people really want to be out there and motivated. So don't think you have to worry about the people just shrugging it off and not being motivated. Don't think you have to worry about all of a sudden somebody learning that Rachel Notley's a human being and let's go through her back catalog. That's all happened. And, And so for those reasons, I just don't think it's as big of a concern these times. And to Stephen's point... Who would you rather be right now? A hundred times out of a hundred, you're mm-hmm. going to pick Rachel Notley's position in this one. And by the way, I would say that even if there wasn't the abacus poll at this particular moment, which would put the race at like a 50-50, like an even flat split yep. race. Because it's just, it's very clear who's got the enthusiasm, who's got the momentum, and who's on defense. Here's another audience question. How likely are shy UCPers just hiding their support and artificially inflating the NDP polling numbers so far? Oh, my God. Like, where do they come up with this? Like, like <laughs> calm down. Is, is, this, is this a dice roll that happens in Dungeons and Dragons or something? Um, no, here's what's happening. The, the, what could happen is shy UCPers are still declaring for UCP but they won't go and do the vote. You have to ask yourself, what is the easy thing to do and what's the hard thing to do? So the easy thing to do to a pollster is to say, I am voting for the UCP. The hard thing to do for is actually to go and vote for the UCP. So given that we have this group of reluctant UCP voters, um, they are more likely, in my opinion, to say, I'm going to vote for the UCP uh, to a pollster than they are to actually get out to the polls. Because getting out to the polls means you have to commit, you have to take time out of your busy day, and you have to uh, actually wind up voting for that crazy woman who's who's saying all these things that you don't you don't agree with. Um, so I, I think that it's the exact opposite from what is, you know, which isn't unheard of. I mean, given that they're so smart, Corey, one would think that our audience would come up with better questions, but... Oh, don't, you know what? Don't worry, Carter, because I've got a lot oh, more on. questions for you. Okay, okay, good. Yeah, Lots I don't more. Know. Good. Yeah, like, I actually think there's something maybe a little bit to that to at least watch. And let's put it this way. If you do that kind of classic, okay, what went wrong? Like, if the NDP are doing their debrief on let's just say June 30th, and they're saying, how did we lose that election? We actually thought we were up by eight points at the midpoint, right? I think that somebody saying the shy Tory effect was was real, and that election is a, is a real possibility, because it has become a little socially unacceptable to support the UCP. And as I was saying, even in my last answer on a different question, 
signs of 10 to 1 in my neighborhood. My neighborhood's not actually going to go 10 to 1, you know, for the uh, for the NDP over the UCP. And that does, to me, speak about a lack of enthusiasm, maybe, but also a certain social unacceptability in Crescent Heights, in Che. Cre- in yeah, I was going to say Crescent Heights East. You really need yeah. to clarify that. Not all of Crescent Heights. <laughs> Crescent in, Heights East that no one calls yeah. Che, but Corey Hogan. Everyone calls Che. No it's, you heard it, it here. No. But you heard it everywhere because we all call it Che. Um it would be socially unacceptable to put up a conservative sign on a lot of streets and a lot of neighborhoods. And um, the uh, th- that is going to maybe drive some of the sign behavior. And if it can drive sign behavior, I think you can imagine it could drive other behaviors as well. Now, to argue the other point, there's so much back and forth and argument and was the Shaitori effect real or was it just bad pollsters? And by the way, this phrase goes back to Neil Kinnock was supposed to win the UK election, I think in 89 or something like that. And he did, right? And instead, uh, the uh, the conservatives were returned. There's a lot of argument as to whether there actually was a Shaitori yeah. effect or whether it was just a polling miss, which mm-hmm. also happens. And, you know, maybe there were selection biases and all of these other things. But if there was... One of the things you have to keep in mind about that particular moment is polling was done by humans at the time. And it's much more likely that you're going to feel concerned about providing a socially unacceptable answer to a human than you are to, say, an online poll or IVR. And if your theory is there's a potential shy Tory effect, I think you would see it more with live callers, the Janet Brown pollsters of the world, than you would with, say the um uh with the abacuses of the world which use online samples and given that abacus is the one showing like the biggest as of right now you know ndp lead if there's you know if there's a shy tory effect you would expect janet brown's gonna all of a sudden have numbers that have the ndp up by 12 yeah but there isn't a shy tory effect but let's just go back to that (laughs) it's not a thing and you know i mean it just isn't. This isn't the way the world works in today's polling structures. You know what? What people are shy? People who don't answer the frickin' phone. People who don't join a panel. Uh, those people don't have anything to say, and we're not hearing from them anymore. So you know, why is point. why is polling why is polling in such a dire state? Because the non-response ratio is huge. And that non-response ratio actually matters. So non-response ratio literally is uh, the number of people who answer the telephone and complete the survey versus the number of people who don't. And it used to be in the low, you know, like, you know, couple hundred would do, you know, you'd make a couple hundred telephone calls, you get, and you get, everybody would be responding. Now it's thousands of telephone calls to get enough, you know, 30, 40, 50,000 phone calls in order to get a, uh, a sample. So we're not seeing shy Tories. What we're seeing is people who are answering the phone aren't shy. They're answering as though they, as because they want to be heard. And that's one of the reasons that polling can get so funkin' wonky right now. It's the people who answer it tend to have their own skew. The skew that they have right now is they don't like the UCP. That's the skew. And that's going to be the story on June the 30th, unless the uh, NDP pooch it. And it will be the NDP yeah. pooching it, not some shy Tory in some well, let's, let's booth that. somewhere. Because it might be the same consequence for a totally different reason. But what you said was shocking to me. Very, very smart. Very smart. Oh. You just do not engage oh. if you're shy. But 
we do know that, or I think we would agree, Stephen, you and yeah. I, that there is a bit of an enthusiasm gap in the NDP's favor. Yeah. That might be showing up in polls, too. They might be more animated to give their opinion, to get involved in a poll. Can we can we talk about that, though, when it goes to your lawn sign point, Corey, uh, when you're saying, like, everyone's got NDP signs, they're the ones to have, like... This is in Calgary that we're talking about. And this is like wildly different than we've ever seen before. I say that as someone who went and worked for the NDP in 2018, right? Like that was five years ago. And people are yeah. like, what are you doing? And now you're like Crescent Heights East. Every, this is the sign to have. Like, I think, it's Jay. It's how we roll in Jay. Yeah. <laughs> can, can you just speak to, no one calls it Jay, but just speak to the fact of like, and, and I don't know if you guys want to intersperse it with like what you're hearing on the ground sort of thing, but things are different, are they not? Well, they feel really different. Um, and when you go a little further afield, when you go into some of the suburban communities where I don't think they've ever seen an orange sign, or at least it was the one weird neighbor who refuses to give up the fight, you're seeing sign wars. You're seeing basically even splits yeah. in some of the farthest communities in the in the city communities that even in a scenario where before this election began, if I was going to say deep South Calgary, you're going to see almost as many NDP signs as UCP signs. I'd say, fuck off, get out of here. That's ridiculous. That's just not going to happen. I, that doesn't mean again, that doesn't mean that's how the vote splits are going to come down at the end of the day, but there is a real intensity and the big difference. And I said this on Twitter, but I think it's worth saying here too. Like people keep saying, oh, it's like 2015. It's not like 2015. You guys all forgot what 2015 was like. I didn't forget because I was sitting there banging my head against this wall. You couldn't convince people exactly. that the NDP were going to win. The NDP led in every poll for the last two weeks of that election. No one believed And it. you couldn't convince people that the NDP were going to win. I was on a panel the day before the election with a pollster who I will not call out here because... Because I'm just not going to be that guy. And Susan Elliott. You should call him out. Ask yourself. should call them out. Is in the rule you have to call them out? <laughs> whisper, whisper the name and I'll say it. Okay. Well, I won't tell you which Bruce it was, but it was a Bruce. Okay. And I was on a panel with him and his poll, his poll showed the NDP up by like five or six or seven or I think it was 10 even. Yeah. Right. And he's like, and then we were asked for our predictions on, on this, uh, on this particular you know, election, what we thought was going to happen the next day. And, I, you know, Susan Elliott is a, an old PC, and she said, oh, I think the PCs will squeeze it out, PC minority or something like that. I think that's what she said. I said NDP majority. And Bruce said, I think it's going to be a PC majority. The guy who had in his own <laughs> poll the NDP up by 10. And he's like, well, I just don't see where it's going to come from. Where are the seats? And I said, well, everywhere. If you're up by 10, you win everywhere. And guess what? happened yeah I mean, spoiler alert i was right and bruce was wrong that's but, so good for you, you know, to be right once in a while that I is no it's <laughs> i'm so happy but <laughs> i use this to illustrate two things first of all i'm a very smart human who saw that coming and nobody else did just but like the second audience. thing is just like the audience but the second thing is you really had a hard time convincing people that the that the pcs were going to lose it seemed unfathomable the, i guess the other thing is that uh, this is the very first election where people have known it's a close race and they're putting out those signs and it still feels like the NDP might have the advantage in the city. I drove through Turner Valley. Or does Turner Valley have a new name, Turner? 
Yeah, it's Diamond yeah, Black are, Valley. I don't yeah, whatever yeah. their new Diamond name is. Valley? No one, yeah. Diamond Valley. Diamond Valley. They combined Valley. it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but I drove through there on the way to Sheep River. You would know this, Carter, to oh, bike yesterday. Nice Great Saw place. four bears. It was wonderful. But uh, there was orange signs in Turner Valley, and like uh, uh, several of them. I'm, it was crazy. <laughs> yeah, like several. It was... Uh, who would have right. thought? That's okay. scary <laughs> I'm scared to death now. Now I don't know what to do. Uh, I mean, this is this is a significant like momentum is the thing that we're trying to. This is actually what we're talking about here, guys. Like, so you, you how tell do you us know what we're talking about? Don't worry, I will. I'm a white guy. Um, don't worry. There's you know this is this is how elections are won or lost. It is momentum. You either have it or you don't. And what I talk, you know. I'm not sure we've talked about this in the past, but we've talked about social networks ad nauseum, right? The, the group of people who are the backbone of society, the people who make sure that, um, <clears throat> you know, the kids get the hockey practice, that they are sitting in the hockey arena together. They're making sure there's sliced oranges at the, or- at, the, at the soccer game. Those people are seeing this momentum and they are talking about it. And when you're getting feedback from people who are former PCs, former PCMLAs, former um, conservatives, when Ken Bosenkul, who wrote the fucking uh, firewall letter, mm-hmm. is saying, hey, Danielle seems a bit extreme. Um, that That's a big thing. And there's a lot of permission being granted to right-wing Alberta to either not vote for Danielle or to, um, to stay home, uh, you know, or to vote even for the NDP. A lot of permissions being given. Is that? I was going to ask about that because, like, our uh, our our pal Jeremy Farkas was on um, uh, the radio on Friday morning, and what what he said in that, and I was getting my kid ready, listening to it, and I'm like, man, I got to send this to conservative family. The first three minutes, I'm like, everything Farkas is saying, I can say, and it doesn't hit, but Farkas can say, and it does hit, and it was like going around Twitter like crazy on Friday. Are, do you think those people, like your your Farkas's and your Ken and these other people you're talking about, Carter, are they going to vote NDP? Um, what I'm told, and I won't speak directly for for Jeremy, I won't speak directly for Ken because I don't know their individual voting preferences. But I do know is lots of people who I've spoken to from my conservative world are voting for the NDP, and I can speak for myself. I'll be voting for the NDP. There's no way on God's green earth. You know, the, the choice is very simple. Sanity uh, or insanity. And so, and that has been the brand structure that has been created by the NDP. They are literally asking us, do you want, you know, what will Danielle do next? That's their brand position. That's their slogan. That's the story that they've told us. And everything is fitting into that brand structure. Okay. Let's leave it there and move on to our lightning round, which is, it's going to be lo- a long lightning round, guys, because our audience, they have episode? a lot of Four questions. Years. Okay. Our audience has a lot of questions. It's like they want to be engaged. They want to, to have a say. They want their questions read. Yeah, what um, they want has never actually been why a consideration would we ever of care? us. But, yeah. yeah. You're, and you're bringing us also, down, Annalise. You're they can also down. say what they think in the listener survey. Which, where can they access us again? Oh, yeah. Uh, so you can go to thebrettandrew.ca. Yeah. Or you can go to brettandrews.ca. But don't go to Brett 
andrew.ca and don't go to the breadandrews.ca so lots yeah. of options for for their feedback there and but also some options not to use yeah some things you yeah, should some do. not to do yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah but they also can sign up for patreon and get on our discord and interact with you two are on it all the time i've given <laughs> up twitter me. almost yeah and, and now i've got discord which you is you two are on it yeah, on this, all the time yeah. so they get like access to you they can submit questions maybe i'll ask them like it's a it's a good deal for six bucks you a know month. the thing is we 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 chat there if we feel like it but if they ever described it as submitting to us a question there's like a zero percent no no we would answer no but you, yeah. you guys are it's it's a busy place lots of people have been joining carter i will lots tell you lots of people <laughs> this weekend i typed out three or four are you fucking kidding me responses and i deleted them because i'm showing real that's growth that's nice of you i'm yeah, showing real good. growth <laughs> do you think they were kidding you though you should have asked you should have uh, well, yeah. i mean how fucking that, stupid that's, that's are you for the next your first week yeah no it's not gonna be good yeah yeah okay, okay. You might just want a macro for that like just one button so yeah, you're i've got right. i've got like a whack of questions uh but so keep, we're doing these quick answers. so they're gonna be keep so them do you tight, want us to like ask where, you questions where about where the answers do you want us to ask you questions about how we should answer it no, so, like Carter. If if it's like a yes so no question, you don't question, want us you could just say yes time. or no. <laughs> you don't want us. <laughs> so the first question, there was actually a request to do an entire episode about this, but I've made it into a, a lightning round question. Good. So okay, we can make it an episode still. Yeah, we, we got time. <laughs> yeah, tons I've, of time. I've got nothing to do. Yeah, yeah, tons of time. Uh, why do political leaders have to wear weird outfits during emergencies? This this was in reference to uh, um, some of the outfits that Daniel Smith has been wearing. I, I don't know if it's just Daniel Smith. I think government uh, uh, leaders right now during the wildfires. Yeah, this is like a whole episode. We could do a whole Do you want me to take the first crack at this, though, Corey? You do the first 30 minutes. I'll do the first <laughs> okay. So here's, here's the answer, um, the, and I'll do it in relatively short form. There are two primary reasons. Number one is that they may not have appropriate clothing at that particular time. So by giving them and always having clothing for them, they're not showing up like they're wearing a uh, a suit when they shouldn't be, or they're wearing a golf shirt when they, you, you'll remember Stephen Harper's tragic uh, uh uh, press conference when he was wearing a golf shirt. It, it wasn't good. Um, you don't want that to be the talk of the town when you're trying to update people on uh, a fire situation. So you make sure that there's uh, a costume, if you will, for that set aside because you, you, you don't, you know, you need to make sure that people are dressed appropriately. And this, the second thing is, and, and I'm, I'm not sure that this applies necessarily at this particular juncture, uh, but it, it, it often does. And that is that often the leaders are staying there, sleeping there, and are unable to change into uh, their clothes. They don't, aren't sending people to get them clothes. They are just taking the clothes that are there and wearing them. So it is very, very standard uh, to have clothing for them to wear. Um, and they, you know, it, and it becomes something of a, of a pride thing. And I think that Corey's got a little bit more info on that too, or was that Nenshi that talked about how everybody was giving him different clothes for different situations from the city departments because they wanted to have their department highlighted. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, so Stephen's absolutely right. Let's let's start with why this started, and that is that 
you as a premier are not always going to be equipped with tactical gear appropriate for the situation. And you don't want to be going out in a three-piece suit or something like that when you've got to survey a wildfire, go down to a flooded area. Uh, you've got to dress appropriate to the situation. And so you pick a couple of kind of staples, like, yeah, throw on some jeans or whatnot, some slacks, and we'll give you the jacket. You'll be ready for anything there. That makes an awful lot of sense. And that's why it started. And that is, by and large, still why these these gears exist, right? Right, let's let's start there. I do think we have to acknowledge, though, that there has been a bit of a um, realization that because they represent somebody who's sleeping at the command center, because they represent somebody who's down there getting you know involved in the particular thing, overseeing it, talking to officials, getting their finger on the pulse, that um, that there is some advantage, there's some upside to wearing those particular pieces of gear too. And even when I want to be really like super laudable, I, I, so let's not make this about Smith for a minute. Let's talk yeah. about Vladimir Zelensky. Okay. He does not need to wear military fatigues every day anymore. Mm-hmm. We're long since the past where Kiev is is going to be run over by Russian tanks or that's uh, that's an imminent real threat, right? But he does still because there's this expectation that he dressed like he's somebody who's down in the trenches, that he's out there having conversations. Occasionally it flares up into a thing like how dare he not wear a suit to the U.S. Congress, but by and large it represents a wartime leader doing wartime things. And his attire is basically, if we're going to call it, let's, let's call a spade a spade, it's a costume. Right? It's a costume that he's dressing up to reinforce the point that he wants to make. I mentioned Zelensky because it's not an all bad thing, right? He's using that power uh, to really make a point, to drive home the need for support from all of these uh, various partners of his, to say this is not business as usual. And he's using the power of that costume to il- illustrate and emphasize that it is not business as usual. Now, when you zoom back here to a situation of floods, of wildfires, of all of that, that's the that's the propaganda value in kind of the most neutral, positive sense of it. The premier is reminding us, this is not business as usual. We are in an emergency. And I am reminding you through my attire, we are in an emergency. So don't please all go back to normal. Don't all please just treat this like a normal go- government press conference. There are people's lives at risk and we need to do something about it. Okay. Maybe, Carter, I'm going to hand it to you for the third version yeah, of this. Yeah, I mean, though. the third piece, and this is where the really the point really becomes important, Annalise. The third... I don't have a third part, Annalise. I'm really Next question. hoping this one's actually hold on. This one's hold for on. you, Carter. Oh, we Corey did has to throw a on the table. Point. This, yeah. Oh, okay. The third point is you can also very cynically use it to look like you're doing something. Oh, right? we've yeah. just got to sort of say that, and we have seen a lot of versions of that recently, and we've seen people really gear up that attire and make it a bit more marketing wise than it has historically been. I think a lot of people were kind of chuckling about the premier of Alberta in big text. I actually don't think that's that's worth chuckling about. I think in those situations, clarity of command is really important. Clarity as to who's who is really important. You think that these people are people everybody should recognize. They're not. They're absolutely not. People will say, hi, who are you? Don't have a clue who I'm talking to right now, especially when they're not in that suit that everybody recognizes. So it makes sense that they're premier. But you you see now almost this branded attire. DeSantis famously did this in Florida. People now put it on, and it's not about trying to make people realize the situation is serious. It's about making people think you're serious, mm-hmm. and that's where I think it is worthy of our eye rolls. But I don't think I don't see anything in Alberta that's actually hit that point. For that, what it's worth. that was a really good long answer, Corey. Carter, this one's for you. It's lightning round. This okay. comes from um, this actually comes from your big piece in the in the National Post. Oh. Um, 
uh, it was inspired by your interview in the National Post is what they said. The question is, is it too late for Notley to define and sell her story? Can she and how? For Notley or for Smith? Because Notley is defined and is selling her story. It it says Notley, and I'm going to be honest with you, I've not yet read your piece in the National Post because instead of sending a link, you sent a screenshot of a newspaper (laughs) that was in... You you couldn't even read the whole thing because it was cut off because it was so long. Just the most serious boomer energy from you there, Stephen. He sent sent like a picture of the newspaper to us all. Yeah. It came out. I did read it. How old are you, Stephen? How old are you, Stephen Carter? It came out in uh, online version, so it's not me. It's the National Post that's old. Okay, National Post doesn't know how. Picture of a newspaper, which that was the only digital form it was in at that particular time. That's not a digital form. So I, I I could be reading this question wrong. Here's like, the thing. Or, no, I don't think, I think the question was, is you're it not, too late for knowledge to find and sell their story? I don't know what that the, means because I haven't read the In article. the column, it, it suggests that you said that neither of them is doing a good job of setting their story. Okay, Carter, clear did the you record. Read your, <laughs> did you read your own? No, I fucking, I, why would I read my own stuff? I send it to you guys. If it's bad, you'll tell me. If it's good, you'll make fun of me. And, I haven't uh, read it, so there we go. So I'm feeling pretty good right now. No, I mean... I think that, you know, keep in mind, this was a, a while ago we did the interview. But How long ago did you do it? There was a lot of detail about days, where eight days. it was, yeah, I, I heard, but not... Uh, I, you know, it was a great okay. interview. Eight it days. Was fun. It okay. was fun. Donna was lovely and and uh, a little nervous about it, but it worked out well. I think <laughs> I, 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 this, is the, this is the texture I look for. But the... <laughs> The story as it is developing at this point isn't a very positive story about about uh, Rachel Notley. It doesn't need to be. It is a very negative story about Danielle Smith. And that seems to be working. So, you know, don't question what's working. You know, question only that, that which has failed. And the NDP aren't failing. So uh, I think that the story wasn't as developed in the first days of their campaign. And it's becoming far more developed as we move through. And and the story isn't about them. The story has almost nothing to do with them. The story is almost everything to do with the uh, with the UCP and Danielle Smith. And, and this is something I'm very familiar with. Keep in mind, the Gondek story had almost nothing to do with Gondek. The Gondek story had everything to do with with Jason Kenney. And... You know, it's, it's it, and it's been it's been a tough transition for Gondek, in my opinion, to go from having Jason Kenny to define herself against to being expected to define herself on her own. That's that's the downside of doing this type of, you know, this type of definition. But um, I think the NDP have have done uh, a very strong job of defining the other guys, and that's that looks like it's going to be enough. Okay, here's this here's a similar one and Corey, I'll give this to you again, listener question. It says, Are the NDP doing anything right or is their paper upswing just a result of Smith's regrettable history? I mean, that's to me that's such a funny question because it implies like the NDP are just a boat on this ocean and not that they're the ones making these waves. Like yeah. they they have they have constructed this view of Danielle Smith that we now capture. As Stephen and I were saying earlier in this episode, I would bet anything that every single one of those leaks, maybe with the exception of one or two, came from the NDP indirectly, if not directly, right? Like they are they are all over this. And if you need any evidence of that, just look at the 2019 campaign. They were great at this too with Jason Kenney. There was a hit a day on Jason Kenney. They know how to do oppo. 
The differences, though, are pretty severe between you being in government and you being in opposition and who the headliner is. And frankly, the attacks against Jason Kenney, a lot of them relied on you still being, um, you know, rightfully mad, I think, but mad about things that were done decades ago. These are things that Daniel Smith did as recently as, I don't know, last month or September of, of last year or... 24 months ago, yeah. right? So they feel a lot more recent and, and there's some reality there. But like they've constructed this version of Danielle Smith. It's It seems to be working. And it, it is a ballot question that is entirely hinged on Danielle Smith. I would have said before the campaign, and I probably did, that that was maybe a little bit risky because if Danielle Smith comes out seeming like the world's most reasonable person, well, you've got a bit of a challenge, don't you, right? Like you put a lot of eggs in that particular basket. Or if the UCP had decided we are going to do the least leader-centric campaign ever, it is going to be about the UCP. We are going to elevate everybody basically except Danielle, make her seem like she's one among 20 leaders here. Uh, that might have helped them mitigate against these things too, but they didn't do that. They they seem to have walked right into the trap that the NDP have set for them. And um, the NDP have so much bloody ammunition from Danielle Smith that maybe it wouldn't have mattered if they were tactical geniuses anyhow, because there's just so much mm-hmm. bad. But but here we are. I mean, I, I think that's um, that's not charitable to suggest the NDP are just the benefactors of a random situation. And it suggests that there's a a lack of agency by the NDP that is just not reflective. Like they have been so good at putting this stuff out and pouncing on it and defining Danielle Smith and putting Danielle Smith on the defensive. You've got to give credit where credit's due. Okay, next one's for Carter. Um, I'm just going to modify it a little. Carter, what's on your For You page on TikTok these days? Uh, today? Um, I don't actually know. I, did, I spent more time on Discord than on TikTok. Although wow, did, that's that's bold. That's something. Because you, yeah. you used to not be on it at all. And then I was on Corey, a, and I, Corey and I were like, hey, the Discord's hopping. It's better than Twitter. And then now you're like a, you're like a Discord. Yeah, you're a convert. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, I did go on a James Blunt uh, singer songwriter type of thing there for a while. Um, and that was interesting. Uh, still got lots of Taylor Swift. Taylor Swift is, is in there a lot. Okay. Had a couple of, um, near misses with thirst traps. Uh, but I think I was able to avoid them. Um, very touch and go. Uh, it's like, Hey, what's this? And then you go, Whoa, it's a thirst trap. And you get out of it as quick you get as you can. Yeah. You scroll quick, man. You got to move fast. You got to move fast on those. You got to pretend like it's a commercial. Whoa. That kind of, <laughs> that kind of speed that you bring into it. Um, but that's about it right now. Uh, okay. okay. Have yeah. you, have you learned how to change your name on discourse? No. Um, it turns out that the way that I was told to change my name is not actually a way to change your name. Because Carter, that and then taking pictures of newspaper articles and <laughs> sending it is like, is, that's that was literally really aging you. Yeah. It's really, <laughs> really, that's so true. Okay, yeah. You know what? I guarantee you in your basement somewhere you have a VCR with a blinking clock, which is crazy because no one's had a VCR in 20 have, years, but you're that guy. I do not have a VCR. Yeah, right. I, don't, I haven't uh, had cable okay. for longer you than you haven't had cable, you smartass. <laughs> Next question from a listener. What do the NDP do about this line that Notley's bosses are Singh and Trudeau? Do they just ignore it? Oh, God. Is it working? Yeah, ignore it. Yeah, I mean, yeah. It, it's... it's like, does anybody believe like, it? It's not working. <laughs> Let, you know, okay. the last thing you want to do is, like, what Rob... 
Rob Anderson did for uh, for Danielle's thing t- this weekend. He amplified it. The last thing you want to do is amplify your, you know, by by picking on something that actually may hurt. I mean, it doesn't hurt at all, but just leave it on the sidelines. There's absolutely no reason to pick at that scab. Okay, ne- next question. How or what do the NDP see? How or what do the NDP do to keep the UCP from recovering momentum in the last two weeks? Oh, so this is the full foot on the throat uh, piece, right? So this is what we did uh, to Davison during the 2021 campaign for mayor. What you want to do is you want to put your foot on the throat. You just do not allow them to get air. So every time that they're about to do a press conference, you're doing a press conference. Every time that they're about to put something, you do oppo so fast that they can't even get their spin out there. Right? You are you are literally, everything they're doing, you're countermanding immediately. Everything is happening at, at the fastest possible pace, and you just have to keep your foot on their throat. And that's that's the way I think of it is, you know, are they able to get oxygen? If they're able to get oxygen, then I don't have my foot on their throat. I have to make sure that I've got my foot on their throat. We're putting out our stuff every day and their stuff is getting fucking crushed. The second they utter a word, you cannot give them space to make their own to make their own weather system. And uh, I don't know. Have I got enough metaphors in there, Corey? Is that- I was going to say, that's a, that's a new one. I, you, you brought up the roller coaster at the beginning and you've never come back to it, Carter. No, I uh, forgot I even said it. Um, so, yeah. yeah. So good, that didn't work. Great show. Uh, great show. Same, same question. Great show. Same question for you, Corey. <sighs> yeah, there's, there, it's a big week, right? We've got the debate. So you've obviously got to do well at the debate. I suspect we'll talk about that on our Patreon one in two days. So I won't, I won't spend a ton. Maybe I'll just foreshadow. We're for sure going to talk about what they should do during the debate. But you have a strong performance there. You have people questioning... Um, the overall state of the campaign and perhaps even Danielle Smith specifically going into the weekend and the long weekend and you've done your work for this week. What I do think you need to do, everything Stephen said, but don't hold on to the throttle too tight. And you've got to remember all of your overall, well, I'm going to say overall, but then I'm going to talk about foundation, your underlying foundational approaches here, which is you want to have strong hits. You don't want to put in a bunch of weak hits with your strong hits in your service of keeping your foot on their throat, don't start doing things that are ridiculous and make people dismiss some of your other attacks. Don't do things that get sympathy or blowback. Just run a very smart, very tight campaign and stay away from kind of the dumb, goofy shit that you sometimes get when your opponent is on the run. And then I'll also say, like, there's one Abacus poll that shows them up eight right now. It does generally feel vibe correct, as we were saying in Calgary, Mm -hmm. but... Like we, you know, let's not put everything into this one poll. There could be polls tomorrow that show the UCP up three and we'd have to kind of live with that as it is. But um, yeah, that's the other thing. Like don't start measuring the drapes. Do not start measuring the drapes. Well, I just want to add one more thing about keeping your foot on the throat. Keep your foot on the same themes. This is not the time to be introducing new themes. Um, foot on a throat means that the, 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 the primary attack has worked. Now you have to just keep your foot on that particular piece. You don't need to go out and reinvent wheels. You need to hold. <laughs> this... <laughs> have I got enough? No, it's all your metaphors, man. I love them. Have I, are they? Are there? Is it enough metaphors, or do I? Need I to thought do it throw them all the in. Throat was about oh, to become a throttle that you want to continue pressing. I was going to do that, but you. It's, <laughs> That's uh, 
it felt like it was too much too much okay i'm done now thanks for okay. you know what i mean okay. thanks for interrupting guys it was a good point though <laughs> i did you. like the point it is true like you don't want to say like well i got him here so i'm going to start doing a bunch of other stuff and that goes to kind of this notion that you don't just start pinging around and taking a bunch of crazy crazy risks you want to continue to be smart remember that in the last week a campaign runs against itself don't don't be that campaign exactly Okay, we're going to leave it there, guys. That is a wrap on episode 1062 of The Strategist. My name is Annalise Klingbeil. With you, as always, Stephen Carter and Corey Hogan. Mm-hmm.